Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, the owner of Townsend Family Law and an experienced family law lawyer practicing in all areas of divorce law in the city of Toronto. Welcome to Divorcing Well. In this week's episode, I'm excited to have as my guest, David Eady. David is a certified financial planner, an author, and I would say he's also a bit of an expert on uh, being an executor and executor responsibilities. And so today we're going to be chatting about that aspect of things in particular, uh, the importance of estate planning, why you need to do it, what the responsibilities of an executor are, and a lot of information surrounding that topic. So welcome to the podcast, David. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you, Leanne. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we start, before I you know, came on the show, I always like to listen to other podcasts. And I was divorced uh, 22 years ago. And I wish I had you know, had a podcast to listen to because all the different information that you've given out would have helped me along the way because I understand being in that situation and how people feel. Um, it, it, it feels dark. It feels like it's never going to end. I'm, I got to say kudos to you for what you do with your podcast, different guests and the different aspects. It's, it's to help people uh, get through this pretty dark time. And so, and so much as divorce is a subject that's, you know, hard on people. The next step, what we're talking about is not really a sexy topic. It's about will and estate planning. You know, it kind of coincides with if you're going to be divorced, you had to make sure that you make the changes so that you you know, let your executor, your, and uh, just adjust your, your lifestyle and your estate plan because of your new, um, you know, situation being divorced. So it's yep. a lot to, to cover um, and something not a lot of people want to think about, but they have to think about it so that they don't, they don't leave their family disorganized in chaos if something was to happen. That's very true. And, and, you know, often I find when I have clients, that is one of the things that I ask them about and I encourage them to do is to update their wills and their powers of attorney and their state plans uh, as they're going through the divorce process. So the two kind of um, do go hand in hand, I guess, what is it? Death, taxes, divorce, um, <laughs> the three negatives, but they do go, you know, oh, I, thought you were gonna say the, the th- I thought you were going to call them the three certainties of life, but I, but, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's such an, I'm a, the, the taxes that's always going to be their death. It's, it's difficult, but then you put on top of that a divorce. Like I said before, um, I've been through it. Um, it was tough. It, left a health toll on my on uh, on me the stress and everything like that so i understand where people um it's really not at the top of mind that they need to take care of it as much as you might say you know you need to update those it's really not something they want to think about but especially a lot of people don't even have wills and estates uh plans um 56 percent of canadians don't even have an estate plan and it's important to if either you do you have or you want to um if, or if you don't have your family's in intensive care and they find out that you, there is no will and they can't have and if you're on a ventilator they're not going to be able to have a, a meaningful conversation with you so you need to you know get all the unpleasantness if you know through the divorce but also then update your your will and your estate plan or start one um and review it and that means you know, letting what people know what your wishes are, picking the right executor, and have the conversations with your family. No, that's all so important. Now, um, you've written a book called Executor Help, 
so can you tell listeners a little bit about um, like your own background and what prompted you to write this book? Okay, so the full the full uh, title is Executor Help, How to Settle an Estate, Pick an Executor and Avoid Family Fights. And it was based on um, the stories or some of the stories is based on my family situation where it took us seven years, 10 court appearances and $50,000 to settle my parents' estate and they had a will. And while I was going through that uh, about a, a decade ago, and, but after they had passed away, this is where we spend the time in court. Um, every time I would tell my clients or I would, you know, tell friends of what I was going through, because like the divorce, it was very stressful. But I would hear about one more story where an executor was having a problem or I'd find out about a, a family that had broken up. They weren't talking because of, you know, family squabbling over an estate. So um, I didn't want other people to go through what I went through. So I decided to write the book. Now, for listeners who don't know, what is an executor and what are their responsibilities? Well, the executor, it, it's been said that it's probably the worst job that you <laughs> might want to take on. And, and that's because the testator, the person who's writing the will, they, they're asking you to take on this big favor. And it is a big, giant favor. On average, it's going to take you about 100 hours to spend to settle the estate. And that's working hours. I mean, you can do it on the weekends. You're probably going to have to take time off from work to help settle the estate. And it could take anywhere from 18 to 24 months. That's on average. In my case, it took seven years. And I know some estates have gone on even longer that executors have to take um, have taken on the job. So, you know, as the executor, you're following the wishes of the of the uh, the testator, person who's writing the will. And you want to be as prepared as possible. And you want the person who's writing the will to at least let you know that you're going to be the executor because it's it, a lot of times people just get a phone call from a, a lawyer and find out that, hey, you've been named as an executor in the will. And 90% of most people who are uh, you know, put in that situation have absolutely no idea of what to do, what's involved. And there's a lot involved. I had a friend of mine, she um, got a phone call from a, a lawyer and said that your uncle has left you in as the executor. And on, you know, a lot of people don't know, you can say that, no, I don't want to take on the job. And she renounced and she renounced because she knew the family dynamics of her cousins that who didn't get along and she didn't want to be part of that of that family mess. So even though a lot of times you might just be um, asked to be an executor out of the blue or someone might take the time and ask you, you have to make that decision. Do I really want to get involved with with what's involved to to settle in the state? Because, you know, you have to make sure the taxes are paid. If the taxes aren't paid, you could be held liable for that. So it, you're taking on a big responsibility and you have to think long and hard. Do you want to do it? And then there's a bunch of questions you should be asking the testator um, if you're going to decide to do the job, um, how to make it easier. Now, if you're the testator and you're drafting your will or having a, a lawyer draft your will, uh, what are some of the qualities you should be looking for, some of the characteristics you should be looking for in someone who you decide to appoint as your executor? Well, it's someone that you might, um, that you think that could handle the job that might be pretty good at administrative, following up on on, on uh, paperwork and, and be pretty organized. Uh, what I say in the book is that this is not a job that 
you can do alone. So it, it would help if the testator would give a little bit of um, help in terms of saying, okay, this is my accountant. So the accountant will help the, you know, guide the executor to selling the, uh, uh, handling the taxes, make sure there's a lawyer. Um, Cause it's not uncommon that if beneficiaries don't like how the estate is moving along, they don't think twice to want to sue the executor. So you want to have a lawyer uh, on hand and also a financial advisor so that you can help transfer the assets, manage the assets until they're sold or they're distributed. Those are the three basic professionals. I say that the executor should have an access to and, and to to help uh, help them settle the estate. So it would help the, the uh, testator if they had that in place to help the executor um, going forward. On average, um, an executor may use up to 17 different um, professionals over and above the the um, you know the lawyer, the financial advisor, the um, the accountant. They might need a real estate agent. They might need someone who's going to do an auction. There's there's plenty of other people, but the three basic ones are the ones that I just mentioned. Now, why should someone have a will and do some estate planning? You know, what if there's listeners out there and you know, oh, like I don't want to pay, you know, for this to be done. Um, I don't really have a lot. I don't need to worry about this. What do you say to someone like that? Why is it important? Well, if you don't have an estate plan, believe me, the government has one for you. And <laughs> so you haven't got it. So if you don't do it, it's going to, you're leaving it up to the government. And and you and now after that, they don't know what your wishes are. So your family, again, will now be left disorganized and in chaos, especially if you have children. Uh, I talk about in the book, um, a friend of mine, she made sure that she had a will um, now that she's a successful business person. But she remembers as a child that um, when her father passed away, she was 12. Her, her um, brother was five years old and her mother already had passed away. So and in the uh, funeral um, home parking lot, after the burial of her father, who had no will, she came from a big family. One aunt took her by the hand and another aunt took her brother by the hand and they were separated. And even though she's, you know, successful and she had a happy childhood, she remembers the problems that her aunts and uncles had to go through because every time they needed money, they had to go to the public curator and, and um, deal with uh, you know, the finances, you know, the, the upbringing of her. So why not have a will done? It just makes sense. You, you know, there's a lot of online solutions to do that. You know, I'm not a big fan of it. I'd rather go to a professional such as yourself or, uh, uh, you know, and pay for the knowledge and the experience to answer the questions to make sure that your wishes are going to be um, met and that you've prepared your executor. So even though you, you know, you might say, well, I don't have a lot. If you've got a bank account, you've got a car and you've got a, a few, everybody's got a few assets, you need to have a will. And one other thing I would add, even you, though you have a will, something that you also have to be cognizant of is digital assets. So that's anything you've ever done online, put on your computer. So, you know, your online banking, your investment accounts, your uh, PayPal, credit cards, email, um, social media. I had a friend of mine passed away six months ago, and I could tell that the executor didn't know what to do because last Friday, a birthday announcement came up on LinkedIn and also on Facebook. So they didn't know how to turn that off. So besides your will, 
to prepare your executor, you want to make sure you have a list of all of your logins and passwords, because for every email address, there's probably about 130 different places where that one email address is being used to as a login. So you want to prepare the list of emails, the, the login credentials, share it with your executor or your family where that's going to be held along with the will, and make sure that you make it easy on your executor. You know, you're going to need an executor when you're dead, but it's better to, it's helpful to prepare them while you're still alive. And again, make it easier on your family. Those are all great points and things that, you know, I think a lot of people don't even think about. They think of a will, you know, is just outlining how their their assets are, are going to be, you know, dealt with and disposed of. Um, but they don't think about, you know, uh, you know, messages coming up on social media that it's your birthday and or, you know, passwords yeah. to things and, and whatnot. So all the more reason, I think, why I, you know, go back to your point a few minutes ago, the importance of having a professional, someone who knows what they're doing, uh, drafting this stuff for you and assisting you with it rather than just going to the Internet and downloading something or buying a kit at Staples or something like that. And it's also because... Again, what we're talking about, besides divorce, this is not a sexy topic. But and what why a lot of people don't do have a will is because they they avoid it because they think because they talk about death, they're going to die. So there's that. Then there's, you know, someone who's going to procrastinate. I was talking to an individual the other day. They said, yes, we've been for the last six years, we've been planning to do a will and we hope We've got it on our list to do for the end of the year. So they keep putting off. It's a procrastination. And then there's a third type of person who says, you know what? I'm dead. It doesn't matter what happens to me. Um, my family will take care of things. And that's where there's a problem because you don't know the logins. You don't know the passwords. I wonder what they wanted is a funeral. You know, um, where are their bank accounts being held? You're leaving your family in in disarray and in, in, you know, in, in chaos. What are some of the common problems that executors face? In the book, I talk about the triangle of uh, uh, of conflict. And if, uh, as an executor, if you come across one of these three areas, one where there's no will, two, there's a divorce or a second marriage, or three, the siblings or the family members don't get along. If an executor has one of those elements in there to... Also, on top of that, sell the estate. They're in for a long and difficult um, uh, road to get to getting things done. Because when someone passes away or when they're doing their will, they see leaving their gifts, the legacy, as a gift to someone. It's going to help them going forward um, in life. It's a gift that they're leaving. On the other side, the beneficiary only sees it as a check or they see it as something they're getting them. It's the same gift. Same thing, but through two different eyes. And the 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 beneficiary is only interested in when are you scratching me my check? When am I gonna get it? Why isn't it taking so long? I don't I don't care about the taxes. I want my money now. I want to buy that boat. I want to fix my house. They're not interested, you know, of the hundred hours that you as the executor are are taking out of your time to make sure that the estate is settled. So it, it it's that's probably one of the biggest problems that executors face is is beneficiaries and also the the amount of time it takes to settle the estate. 
Now you touched upon before a situation where um, there was someone you knew and she uh, refused or turned down uh, the role of executor because she was aware of the family dynamics and thought, I don't want to be involved in that. Are there other types of situations that you would flag for people to, you know, if if they're finding they're going to be an executor in that type of situation, they may want to reconsider whether that's a position they want to accept? If you're going to be asked to be an executor, first thing you need to ask the testator, person writing the will, where's the will? The second and probably the most important thing is, have you spoken to the family? Now, a lot of people, a lot of families won't have that conversation. They'll let the paperwork do the talking, which means there's a will written. And, you know, when they pass away, then whatever's in the will, everybody will find out. And that's probably the biggest mistake my parents made. And that's how we ended up in court. I mean, as much as I knew what was in the will, two of the siblings, myself and my sister knew, but the other sibling, she didn't know. But even though everything was to be split three ways and you figure uh, equal should be fair, in the, in the eyes of the other sibling, it wasn't. So she was the one that wanted decided that we needed to fight over this and go to court. So you need to have the conversations with the family. Yes, it's uncomfortable. A lot of families, um, you know, the matriarch or the patriarch will not have the conversation because they don't want to upset the children, you know, and, and it's not uncommon that, uh, you know, families will fight once someone has passed away. And that's because there was no conversation. So it's easier if you ask um, the testator as the executor, have you had the conversation with the with the family members, letting them know that this is what's going to be left with them? They may not like it. Too bad. It's your estate. But, you know, get over those hurt feelings and move on and prepare the family for whatever might come down in the future. Um, if the, the estate is very complex, you know, that's why you would have a conversation with uh, a professional such as yourself as a lawyer to make sure, you know, let's do the, how the will should be structured. Do I or should I go and have a, uh, a corporate executor uh, take care of it at a bank or a trust company? That's, you know, there's no right way. It depends on the complexity and how big the estate will be if the executor is, um, you know, has in mind that, yeah, I think I can do this job. The other thing is, who are they going to be the guardians of the children if there's minor children involved? If you're divorced or newly divorced, you're going to have to redo or update your will because maybe your guardians that you had chosen for your children while you were married might be your ex brother-in-law or your ex-sister-in-law. Maybe there's a need for a change on your side now in terms of who are they going to be the guardians. And then one of the other questions, or probably the number one question that most executors ask and people don't, uh, testators need to think about is, should this person get paid? You know, a lot of times the executor is also a beneficiary. So usually they don't um, because they're going to benefit from the estate that way, but then maybe um, they aren't and the testator will maybe just say a percentage of the estate will be paying the executor for their time. Um, that income has to be reported by CRA, but just be prepared to, you know, you know, as long as it's reasonable for your gas, photocopying, faxes, et cetera, et cetera, that you could charge that to the estate. And so you're not going to be out of pocket. But don't think that it's going to be, uh, you know, it's a moneymaker, that it's going to be a free uh, cash grab, you still have to report that income to CRA. Now, if uh, say I got a, a knock on my door or a phone call tomorrow um, telling me that 
somebody I knew had died and that I would, I'm the executor of their estate. And I didn't know this before that person had failed to communicate that to me. And I'm just finding out. And it's something that I don't want to do. If I refuse to do it or recuse myself or whatever the proper terminology is, what happens then? Is there no, does, you know, does the government then become involved or or what happens if somebody? Well, then someone, well, you you would renounce and maybe in the will, it would say if, if there's two children, say, for example, if Johnny um, does not want to be or predeceases um, the testator, maybe there'll be a second person as uh, to be named as, a, as an executor. Um, but again, you could have that conversation with the, you know, the professional that's drawing up the will and say, you know what, just in case they say no. But before you get to that step, maybe you want to have that conversation and ask and not make it a surprise uh, phone call or a surprise knock at the door. Definitely. We need to talk about the holidays and divorce. It's a stressful time for families, especially when alcohol is involved and our friends at Soberlink want to help. Soberlink has teamed up with me, Leanne Townsend, along with other divorce and family law experts to provide information you didn't know that could provide peace of mind during the holidays. For those who still haven't heard about Soberlink, it is the solution for you if you're going through a divorce and custody case involving alcohol. Whether you are falsely accused of alcohol use or are concerned about your child's safety because of the other parent's alcohol use, Soberlink can help. Soberlink works hard to keep children safe, offering a remote alcohol monitoring system that is the gold standard because of its technology. Don't miss out on Soberlink's free guide for the upcoming holiday season. Request it today at www.soberlink.com backslash divorcing dash well. What are some of the things that an executor can be held liable for? You mentioned, I think, taxes, if they if they the, don't have the taxes, things. anything that's involved with the beneficiaries may want to take you to court because they think you're going too slow. So now you're going to have to take time out and go to court for that. What I, I, I talk about in the book is the easiest thing to for an executor to do is just keep the beneficiaries engaged let them know what's going on so every maybe every week every two weeks you send out an email or you have a zoom call with everybody just let them know what's going on as soon as there's any radio silence someone's going to look at you sideways and think you know what are they up to doing are they up to something why is it taking so long why can't i get my check but but if you are saying you know we're doing we have to do the taxes and we have to pay the taxes first because um, before i can pay out and this is the estimated from the taxes based on having the conversation with the the accountant. You know, if you're still getting you know pushback from the beneficiaries, maybe you're going to ask the accountant to explain to everyone what's going on. Again, it depends on the complexity of the estate. Is there rental properties? Is there a vacation property? You know, it it, it may be more than just a reg uh, a residential property. You know, which is there's no capital gains, but there could be other things involved that have to be moved around so that the taxes are paid first. And that's why I suggest to executors, don't pay the beneficiaries until you make sure the taxes are paid because again, you could be held liable. So you wanna get that certificate um, certificate of clearance from CRA saying that the estate is good to close and now you could disperse uh, what you have to to the beneficiaries. 
What are some of the important considerations people should uh, make when they're doing their state planning? I mean, you know, children and guardianship and everything is one of them that you've touched upon. What are some of the other things people should turn their minds to? Well, just just talk the the guardian part would be important. If we're talking in a divorce setting, you know, you've moved on and and now you have to rethink who you would want as the guardian. So you want to have the, you know, the conversation, is this person willing to be the guardian? Uh, Are they financially stable? Have you set up income like an insurance policy or something that would take care of the kids? So you, you want to think about that. You want to talk about where, think about where would the child live? Um, another touchy point could be right now is, you know, what is this, the guardian, potential guardians values, their political beliefs, you know, their religious beliefs. Is that the person that you would want raising your children if you weren't here? What are their skills as a parent and also their age and health? So once you've got that, I would then suggest you have that conversation with the potential guardian. The other thing is, I forgot what you, I lost where you asked me with a question. Oh, just important things uh, that people should be taking into consideration when they're doing their estate planning. Is that you go prepared when you sit down with the um, with the, the professional, the lawyer, uh, have in mind, you know, who the executor is. By that time, you would have had the conversation, figure out um, who, if you have minor children, um, who would be the guardians? Who, who are the beneficiaries? Do you have any specific charity bequests that you want to have um, leave? Are there specific items like cars or jewelry or art that you want to leave specifically to an individual? And another important thing is, what about the pets? In the eyes of the law, they're not your furry family member. They're seen as property as well. So you want to make allowance of what's going to happen to your pets if something was to happen to you. You need to organize and think about that. Again, to see to go see a professional, you want to be prepared so that the conversation will flow and give them an idea of where you're coming from in terms of what are your, your ultimate wishes of, of what your estate you would like it to be. So you want to you know have an idea and already have the conversation with your executor. Uh, maybe think about who would uh, you would have a secondary executor just in case they pre you predecease them or they predecease you. Um, do you want to talk about who's going to be the guardian? Hopefully you've had that conversation with the potential guardian, you know, the beneficiaries. Who are you leaving the your estate to? You also want to think about, you know, is there a, a do you have any charity bequests, any particular favorite charities that you want to leave something to? Are there any particular individual items like cars or jewelry, artwork? Now, in terms of estate planning, do people who uh, need to plan their estate and people who need to have wills, is is it just restricted to people who have a lot of money? You know, because I think that's a lot of people might think that, um, but I know that's not true and I can, you're shaking your head. So what do you say to somebody who, you know, doesn't have much, but, you know, why should they get a will done and, and look at some estate planning issues? You want to make it as easy as possible on your family um, so that you don't leave leave them a mess. You don't want to leave them disorganized. Like I said earlier, if you don't have an estate plan and a will, believe me, the government has one for you. So you want to make sure that your family isn't left lost. Make sure that your family isn't in chaos because once you're gone, they're going to be grieving. 
and you don't want to be remembered for the amount of pain and suffering that you put on them because you're gone, but also you've left them a mess in terms of your finances, the taxes, people don't know where the will is, and that they're scrambling around um, looking for things. When I, I uh, in the book, I talk about it's important that you have a brightly colored uh, envelope in a, in a filing cabinet so that the executor knows where it is. So it could be bright, bright red or bright, bright blue, something so it can find it. Because when someone passes away, people are traumatized. And they're going to be looking for things. And you can't be looking for things when you're traumatized and, and everything seems to be, you know, lost. So make it easier on them. It's a brightly colored envelope. In that brightly colored envelope, you're going to find the will. You're going to find the logins and the passwords to all of my digital assets. You're going to have my power of attorney if they're still alive. If they're not, the power of attorney is not. We're going to really have to, it won't come into play, but you know, um, that should be in there. You want to have the names of maybe an accountant, a financial advisor, a lawyer. So just make it easier on your family and not have them search around for the important papers to make it, uh, you know, take that extra burden. This is probably having the estate plan is probably the greatest gift of love that you can leave to your family by being organized and helping them you know, that you're gone, that they're able to move on and make it easy on them, on themselves. That's very true. How often should somebody update their will? When there's a uh, change in life, such as a divorce. So if you're newly divorced, you'd want to look at, um, you know, do you need to revoke the will? Do you need to update it? Think about the beneficiaries. You know, you need to change your life insurance policies, retirement accounts. And, you know, I suggest soon as the, in the final decree has come in, you should start updating the estate plan as soon as possible, the sooner the better. Okay. So that's if you're newly divorced. If, you know, you're, you're divorcing later in life, it, it can have an even bigger devastating effect because now you, you're, you've got probably a lot of assets. So now it's going to come down to splitting assets. Uh, it's going to have effect on adult children. Who may or may not be the um, executors or may not be named in it, then there's the blended family that could be coming about. So you need to think about, I'm divorced now, I'm later in life, am I going to provide for my current partner? Am I still going to leave something for my children from my previous marriage? Am I going to do something for my um, new uh, new family? You know, communicate with Everybody now that you're around, now that you, you know, your life has changed, your lifestyle has changed, and you're updating your will, updating your estate plan to reflect where you are in life. So it'll stay away from those conflicts. Um, again, that's a reason why it can become a, a difficult problem for an executor because there wasn't any communication. And now there's an, an element of the triangle of conflict. There's a second marriage, there's a blended family, and that's where the fights are going to be. That's where you can end up in court. That's where they're picking up the phone and calling you Leanne. Definitely. And I think people um, should also be aware that, you know, if you um, are doing a cohabitation agreement or a marriage contract and those sorts of things, you should always make sure that they're consistent with what you put in your will. So the professional who, you know, you might have a divorce lawyer drafting 
your marriage contract or cohab agreement, and you have an estates lawyer doing your will, but they need to know um, about the other documents to make sure that they've been taken into account and that everything's consistent because you don't want to have two documents that are in conflict about, um, you know, how your assets are going to be disposed of uh, if you are to pass away. So it's really important. Have, have you seen a lot of problems with blended families where there's there's a lot of fights and then it's because it's lack of communication? Definitely. De- definitely. And and I also think there's different agendas. Um, you know, I, like in blended families, I think there's, you know, different, sometimes the original children feel they should be more entitled to certain things or the new spouse feels like, you know, he or she should be more entitled to something than the original children. And it just seems like uh, it's a recipe for for problems and for estate litigation. And I personally even went through something like that with my father. He had remarried um, for the third time, I guess, about two years before he passed away. And my brother and I were executors of his estate and we ended up being sued by um his wife and uh you know we ended up winning but it was not a pleasant experience it went on for you know several years cost us a lot of money in lawyer fees and uh was just you know an all-around awful experience um but you know again it's that the the new partner and the adult children from the first marriage and it's just i think it's a dynamic for problems sometimes do you think the the reason why you ended up in court is because your dad did have a com- didn't have conversations or the the final wife didn't accept what was in the will? It, it was the latter. The the final wife um didn't accept what was in the will and so she was challenging things and that was where her like her intent with the litigation was coming from. Yeah. It it's 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 kind of like it's because you we've we've gone through it in in you know different ways but and we see it all the time is it's kind of a dirty little secret people don't know but every time like i said that's how i ended up writing the book you would tell somebody somebody else will tell you another story there's another it's 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 just it's not talked a lot about but it's not uncommon it happens all the time yeah. No, and I always say, I mean, this applies in divorce, but it also applies very much um, with wills and when someone passes away. Money tends to bring out people's true colors. When there's money at stake uh, that you know people can get their hands on, um, rightly or wrongly, um, true colors come out. And somebody who you may have had a great relationship with before suddenly it's not such a great relationship and it's just very interesting what it it does with some people. It's absolutely shocking. And I always say, you really don't know about somebody until you have to share an inheritance with them. And it's <laughs> it's it, like, like when we were in court I, and I, I always say this all the time, the first time we're in court, I'm sitting there, I'm having an out of body experience. And, and, and I'm saying my parents are spinning in their graves and we've got three people. We've got a lawyers on both sides, and then we've got a judge. We have three people. None of these people were ever at our at our Christmas table, and we have these three people deciding what's going on in my family. It just it, it and there's no reason for this. It makes no sense, and I see it over and over again. There's a sense of entitlement when it comes to money. Someone yeah. thinks that there's this money coming to me. I'm owed, and it's either going to fix my life whatever I've done in my life so far, or I'm going to be 
better off because it's coming to me. It's like they've hit the lottery. I, it it just, it, I, I don't know. It always leaves me speechless. Yeah, no. And, and it's one of the difficulties too, is you're going through the grieving process yourself. You've lost someone that you love and then you're in the middle of this, you know, litigation. And, it, you know, it was interesting what what I, for me, it was actually as much as it was a, a horrible experience and it was very stressful. And even though we won, I hated every minute of it. It, it was eye-opening for me to be on the other side of things, you know, as a, as a lawyer and as a litigator, I, you know, mm -hmm. I go to court a lot. I I'm constantly cross-examining witnesses. I, you know, that's what I do for a living. And I found it extremely stressful having to be cross-examined and the whole worry of the court process. And so it, it was good for me to, to see that side of things because it gave me a better understanding of what clients go through or witnesses, um, you know, in any kind of trial and, and whatnot. So as they say, I think it, it made me ultimately a better lawyer just to have gone through the experience of what it's like for the participants. Yeah, I can imagine. And for me, the stress, so you know, 22 years ago, the stress because of the divorce, I ended up having stents put in maybe five years later because my, 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 uh, the love of my life says I keep holding everything in. And then I'm going through what was going through with my parents. And it's around this time in November, not feeling well. She said, let's just go to the hospital. I said, you know what? I got court in January. Long story short, I end up having triple bypass surgery. I told the doctor, you got to get me. I got to get better because I got to go to court in January, because I still got a, we still got the estate fight going on. Luckily, they postponed it to a little later on. But, you know, the, the stress of all of this just ate me up. And that, it ended me up, you know, lying there uh, in the cardiac ward waiting to have them open up my chest, open up my heart for stress for no reason at all. What are we fighting for? We no longer own the assets that my parents own. And the three of us, since they passed away a decade ago, we haven't spent the holidays together. So what at the, at the end of the day, what do we have accomplished? But my parents should have, have a should have had that conversation with us. Would have, I think it would have saved a little bit of time and heartache because at least we would everybody would have known where uh, where everybody stood and what they what their wishes were. Yeah, no, I, that's very true. And it seems to me like a lot of the problems, they either are going to stem from a situation like that, where there is maybe a lack of communication, or the situation like mine, where I just feel there is a party with an ill intent, and a different agenda as to why she entered into the relationship to begin with, you know, seeing dollar signs and wanting those dollar signs to continue, you know, be after my father passed away. And so, you know, I think if anyone who is a beneficiary or a relative of somebody who's passed away and, and they're looking at them as, you know, with dollar signs as their opportunity to try and cash in and, and get money, uh, they, you know, they may go after it, whether there was clear communication or not from the, the person who died about what their wishes were. I, I, I wonder... Like I'm saying my experience, but you being the professional you are, you, you said, you know, sitting on that side of, you know, sitting in the witness chair being cross-examined. How did it feel just even the first day or being in the 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 hallway of the court and you're thinking, why am I here? What were your thoughts? What were you thinking? Is this for real? Did you believe that you 
that you and your brother would be there doing this? Does this no, make any I sense? I never in a million years. Because I, you know, one of the things both personally and professionally, I always have prided myself on is integrity and honesty. And, you know, I'm the executor of a will. It's not, I'm not going to do anything that's improper. My integrity um, is of the utmost importance to me. And to have that under attack by somebody in a, in what is essentially a public document, you know, the, when you file court pleadings, they're, they're a matter of public record, um, to have somebody questioning me on that and calling it into question and making up lies, it was infuriating. And um, I, I just in a million years never thought I'd be in that situation. And it, it was horrible. I had a baby and a two-year-old at the time. Um, and I felt like instead of being able to enjoy my motherhood of their young years, I was, you know, spending time meeting with lawyers and, you know, going to court and, um, you know, all of that. And I was just lucky because I, I felt that, you know, my brother and I are very close and we're very like-minded. He was my co-executor. So we were totally in sync, but there were days where just from the stress of it, I, you know, one or one of us on different days would almost be folding and be like, you know what, like, let's just, settle this. Like, I don't care. I don't care what it's going to cost. Like, let's just settle it. And then no, then certain people would come to us and be like, no, that's not right. Don't you, you have it. Plus you have a good case. Like don't cave in just because you're feeling the stress of it. That's not the right thing to do. And they would talk us out of it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, to- I, I totally, I, I hear, I could feel exactly the same way. It's just like, it's, why are we doing this? What are, what are we gaining at the end of the day? And I always, and I even talk in the book, is that going to court is not always the best idea, but I get the point where you're going to say you want to have your day in court. And and my thinking, well, and I say is, you know, if someone's going to say, well, I'm going to go to court. Well, it's not like law and order. It's not over. <laughs> no. in, it's, it's not over in, in, in an hour. OK, going to court literally means you're going to, you know, you're not going to work. You're going to be spending time. There's going to be breaks for lunches and it's going to be, you know, a continuance, all that sort of stuff. So it's not your day in court. And then you have that mindset. And that's probably where the even the stress was. But it's I had the thought, if I just get in front of the judge and explain, they will see that she's a moron. But and but you never know which way it's going to go or whatever, because it we and again, we had a good case, but it's just that. You just want your day in court. And maybe a lot of times it's just not worth it to be that right. No, and got- well, no. And I mean, in, in when you, you mentioned you spend, I think, $50,000, my brother yeah. and I spent $150,000. Now we had to split that, but, right. you know, um, that's a lot of money to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, at the end of the day, we got some of it back because we won, but not all of it. And, you know, I feel like I lost a couple of years of my life with, you know, just the stress of it and being focused on that and not being as present with my children because of the stress I was under with that. And, you know, I mean, I still wasn't over my father passing away. And, you know, so you're, it's, it's very, very tough. So, you know, you've said this a couple of times in, in, in the interview today, you know, give people the gift of having your affairs in order, um, you know, when you pass away um, as best you can. Now it's interesting because both your situation and my situation, there was a will. Um, So, you know, the the people who passed away, they thought they had their affairs in order. Uh, So even then you can't. But but, what was missing, it was probably the conversation and say, this is what I want. 
you know, you may not like her, whatever. I mean, his girlfriend, you know, she may not have liked it, but this is what I want. This is what I'm leaving for my kids. End of story. That's it. So they can't come back and say, well, I didn't know. Even that still might, they still might want to challenge, but at least it's out in the open and, you know, don't be surprised that it's that way. My question to you is, uh, I'm questioning you on your podcast, but <laughs> that day, I can remember that day when it was finally over. How did you feel? It, it, oh, it I felt elated. It laid it, but she appealed. So we had it be over. <laughs> then she appealed and we won the appeal. But finally, then it was over. But it was a great feeling. But but it was it was exhausting. And, and you know, and then I look at the money, as they say, that we had to spend on legal fee- fees that in my mind, we never should have had to incur because she had a very no, you know, in my mind, no case to begin with. It was a ridiculous argument she was making. And we never should have had to go through all of that. So there's a little bit of, a, I guess, a frustration and anger, but also relief. Yeah, it's. I hear what you're saying because you, it's it's over. But then you're saying, "What have we done?" And you know, who, who look how much we spent and for what? I mean, even uh, uh, my sibling's case there; she had no case either, and um, it it just doesn't it just didn't make any sense. Uh, and I, I remember that uh, that night for us is um, I just came home and it just felt like there was an adrenaline rush, but everything just like came out of me. And I think that was probably my best night of sleep. Um, I mean, I still had just gotten over triple bypass surgery, but it's just the relief. It's over. It's enough. It's done. It's, uh, it's crazy. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I think this has been a great topic and you provided such helpful information. If listeners would like to purchase your book, where can they find it? Okay. Well, they can just go to davidedy.com. They can purchase the book there, or I've got free resources. I've got a, um, a uh, executor checklist. I've got a quiz. What kind of family are you? So that you can click on and fill out because um, there's three types of families, and it'll give you some idea of you know what you need to do uh, to go forward with your estate. Um, it, all my social media contacts are, are on there. So you just go to davidedy.com. Everything you need to know and find out is all there. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Leanne, this was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you to my listeners. Please like, subscribe, and join me here again next week on Divorcing Well. Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives, bounced back, and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring. I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people that you know need support, need help, that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do. Have an open discussion and not write us off and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't assume my limits Mm -hmm. for me. You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you have to you have to have hope. Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. 
If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.